Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app today to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. In West Africa, there are 14 French-speaking countries. And if you look at information in the world, the world's knowledge, about 4% of it is in French. Most of it is in English. And if you look at the African continent as a whole, places like Nigeria, Ghana, South Africa, Kenya, the places that are English-speaking are moving way faster than their French counterparts. It would take people like myself to come here and try to actually translate and explain some of this information in the local languages to be able to get people to understand what is happening and be part of the revolution. This episode is brought to you by Crypto.com, Bitstamp, and Nexo.io. Hello, I'm senior CoinDesk reporter Lee Quinn, and I'm here today with Bade Jop, founder of Dakar Bitcoin Developers, which is a group in Senegal, which is in Africa. Thank you so much for joining us today, Fadeh. Yeah, thank you for having me. So can you start off by telling me a little bit about how you first learned about Bitcoin? Um, I actually heard about Bitcoin maybe prior to 2011, but I cannot pinpoint exactly what I, what I heard it from. I would say most likely it would be on Hacker News. But um, in 2011, January 2011, I actually moved to um, Las Vegas, Nevada. And when I got there, the biggest meetup was the Las Vegas Bitcoin and Linux meetup run by a guy by the, by, by the name of Julian Tosh. And that's when I really got acquainted with uh, Bitcoin. Wow. So that was a really long time ago. How did you end up getting involved with the local Bitcoin community back at home in Senegal? Um, so I got here in uh, December of uh, this past year in 2017. I'm oh, sorry, in um, 2019. My mom was having surgery, so I wanted to come here and just be there for her. So when I got here, um, a little bit after, that's when all the COVID-19 debacle started. And uh, they started closing the airports and such. So when I was here, I figured that maybe it was, it was the best time to start a uh, Bitcoin community because I have experience running um, those kind of communities in San Francisco. And I just wanted to basically start something in West Africa, in my home country. And I just started the Dakar Bitcoin Developers Meetup. Yeah. How many people now come to that meetup or use it even if it's online? Um, online, uh, this last one, we had 24 or 25 people. Um, when it was in person before the COVID, before actually like the lockdown per se, it was about 40, per, 40 people uh, per event. That's actually a really strong community. Yes, it is. It is. It is actually and really growing now. Can you help catch me up a little bit? I've never been to Senegal. Tell me a little bit about the financial technologies that you guys use. What kind of devices or services are common in your country? Um, well, okay, Senegal is, um, is like a small country in West Africa, uh, French speaking, about 15 million people here. Um, Technology-wise, um, it's mostly dominated by uh, mobile devices, uh, mainly Android devices. We have like a little bit of iPhone, but it's not as prevalent as uh, Android devices. 
and they are fairly cheap these days. You can get them for about 79, 89, 100 bucks now to get a, a decent phone. And um, it's really, sometimes I hear like a lot of people talk about like mobile first, but I think it's more like mobile only because here people mostly interact with the internet uh, and information with their mobile devices. Gotcha. So it's a very mobile first market. Absolutely. If not mobile only. Yeah. So how do you run your Bitcoin seminars? Do you guys have sponsors or how do you make that sustainable for you? I've had a few angel benefactors actually from San Francisco mostly. And, who were, and it was people who saw me initially tweeting about the event on Twitter and they reached out in private messages and wanted to support the, the meetup itself. And they asked me to kind of keep it on the hush a little bit because I'm not sure exactly why, but um, I want to respect that. But yeah, but I've definitely had some support uh, from, um, I would say, uh, Alex uh, Lishman from River.com and also from uh, Chaincode Labs here, in, uh, Chaincode Labs in, uh, in New York. They're the two very Bitcoin forward, Bitcoin focused companies. So it would make sense why they'd want to support a strong and diverse Bitcoin ecosystem. Yes, yes, yes. And actually, luckily, because um, I lived in San Francisco for a while before I came here in, uh, in West Africa in, uh, in, in December. And there I used to, I went to every single Socratic seminar, which was led by uh, Alex Lishman from uh, River.com. And I learned quite a bit, actually, from that group itself. Because prior to that, actually, I was working professionally in uh, Ethereum smart contracts. That's interesting. So I think that there's this common misconception where people think that there's a Bitcoin community and a shitcoin community. What they don't realize is that so many people who work on a wide variety of blockchain projects are very much interested in Bitcoin and when they have the financial opportunity to focus on it, do so. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. And for me also, like, um, there, was a, there was a break with, with Ethereum uh, after, the, uh, after the, hard, the hard fork uh, from ETH to ETH Classic, honestly. I felt like philosophically, I, I did not, I no longer aligned with uh, the Ethereum ESOS. And uh, prior to that, I really worked on Ethereum. I started the uh, Oakland Blockchain Developers Meetup in San Francisco in the Bay Area, which was a very successful uh, meetup, yes. And then from there, I got my first job writing uh, like uh, professional smart contracts um, and, and mainly for or like I, for an ICO. And after that, I ultimately moved back to, the, to San Francisco, like across the... Um, across the bay to kind of focus on uh, Bitcoin because then I kind of understood actually the, the value of Bitcoin and I wanted to like really focus on that. And that's ultimately how I started going to the Socratic seminar. And that's what led to me starting actually a Bitcoin uh, only basically meetup. What value do you think that most people in Senegal in particular are seeking when they're Bitcoin curious? Is there a particular use case or a reason that they're attracted to the technology? Yes, um, um, the use case that I see more often right now is more remittances because people are curious to know how they can send money back and forth, uh, especially like uh, cross-border here because, you know, Africa, Africa is, a, is a large continent, but people want to transact uh, with neighboring countries. And actually, funny enough, when I came to Senegal recently, I've noticed that there are quite a few people from other places in Africa now, you know, from uh, Ivory Coast, from Burkina Faso, Nigeria, Ghana, like all the neighboring countries. And some people don't, even, don't actually even speak French. They mostly speak English. But ultimately, I feel that people want to figure out a way to send money back home and not necessarily incur the fees, uh, high fees, especially with other traditional method, methods of doing so. Um, so most likely, most, mostly what I see right now is mostly like remittance uses, basically. And of course, like some kind of some speculation as well, obviously. Yeah, that makes sense. Which on-ramps are most accessible in Senegal? Um, for on-ramps, I know a few people who are fairly savvy who um, use uh, Binance, actually. Somehow I was really surprised. It was really popular. 
But I recently connected with uh, Paxful, and I'm, I'm actually trying to uh, make Paxful more available here because I kind of know how it works a little bit. And actually, I was in Tallinn uh, not too long ago in November of, of this past year, and I had a chance to kind of like dig into the system a little bit and kind of see how it works. And I think actually Paxful works uh, very well. And I want to maybe help people on ramp more on Paxful here. Interesting. Yeah, I've heard about a lot of people, for example, Binance has a strong presence in Uganda. Um, so I've heard of a lot of different African markets where Binance is accessible. And it makes sense also that peer-to-peer -peer exchanges like Paxful would be another option that's very accessible as an, as an on-ramp. Exactly. And otherwise, we have also have the peer-to-peer uh, -peer pretty much like trading through uh, WhatsApp and Telegram. Actually, WhatsApp is really popular because there are people here who definitely do a lot of business on WhatsApp. I don't know the specifics of it, obviously, because it's not really, you know, out in the open, but, but there are definitely people advertising their business on WhatsApp. I've heard that as well in many, many different markets across Africa, actually. Uh, <laughs> Secretly, Telegram and WhatsApp are the trading platforms. <laughs> so you mentioned that you used Twitter, and that was one of the ways that you found sponsors who were willing to work with the Senegalese community. I also have noticed that your GitHub profile is very prolific, very active, and I really admire the way that you use that platform. Can you tell me a little bit more about how you developed your career as a freelance cypherpunk that knows a wide variety of different technologies? Sure, sure, absolutely. Well, um, it's actually funny enough, I was a computer science major in 94 when I first left um, Africa to go to study in the United States. I was right after high school and I wanted to play basketball and study computer science, funny enough. And this is in 94. <laughs> both at the same time, you're going to be both the jock and the brain? Yeah, basically. <laughs> but, you know, I grew up in the Michael Jordan, Michael Jordan era and I wanted to be like this guy. And I wanted to really be like Mike, like literally, I really idolized Michael Jordan. And um, I begged my dad to pretty much uh, just give me his life savings um, to go to America and study, you know, there and play basketball. Ultimately, basketball didn't quite work out. So I um, uh, ended up, uh, I was initially in Kansas, and I ended up moving to Minnesota. And there, I taught myself some programming, um, learned some C, C++, and Unix through a boot camp uh, through, by the University of Minnesota. And ultimately, I worked with um, just uh, tel telcos and, um, and like small programming jobs or so. Ultimately, um, ended up giving it up and going to uh, LA and to work in Hollywood for about 10 years. But it wasn't until the iPhone came out and I realized that actually that the world was about to change. And I think I was, I was a little bit right. Because prior to the iPhone, there was never a phone which you can use which had like a, a real browser in it. And the first time uh, Steve Jobs basically gave the demo to the iPhone, he said that the same Safari browser that you find on your computer is the same one that's on your phone. I was like, well, this is actually a game changer. And at that time, I wanted to basically leave Hollywood and go back into software because I felt like mobile devices was definitely going to be um, a huge like, uh, benefit. And that's how, how I started getting back into programming, slowly but surely. And, um, and to make a long story short, I ended up going to uh, San Francisco and doing a boot camp for um, JavaScript, a full-stack JavaScript program. And while I was in the boot camp, I started the Oakland Blockchain Developers Meetup. And there, I started messing around with Ethereum because it was easier to basically have access to because there was a Web3 um, library, which you can use to pretty much like write smart contracts and such. So Ethereum was actually a fairly easy platform if you wanted to onboard on like blockchains and um, like blockchain technologies. So I started there and there led me to my first actually job um, working for an online casino in Oakland as well. And then from there, I pretty much just started freelancing and, uh, because I didn't want to necessarily find a, like, a full-time job. Um, and I wanted to keep working on blockchains and full-time, possibly. And I just did what I could and to freelance all over the world from there. Yeah, 
That's a great answer. So what I'm hearing from you as well is in Senegal, a lot of people are interested in Bitcoin for remittances. And for you as a freelancer, I think it would make sense as well that Bitcoin would be useful for accepting payments and working with clients abroad. Has that been your experience? Yes, exactly. Because for me, actually, it's perfect because I have the, I have the cash app. So with the cash app, I can pretty much get paid in Bitcoin anywhere in the world and still use it and be able to cash out back and forth with my bank account. Also, like, I know I'm in, a, I'm in a very unique position because I'm a dual citizen. I'm, a, I'm an American and as well as a Senegalese uh, citizen. So I'm able to have the banking infrastructure in the United States and still take advantage of what crypto has to offer worldwide. Hey listeners, Crypto.com offers one of the most convenient ways to purchase your favorite tokens or cryptocurrencies. It's also one of the most cost-effective ways, with the normal 3.5% credit card fee waived for all crypto purchases. What's more, with Crypto.com's MCO Visa card, you can get up to 10% back on things like food and grocery shopping. When you buy gift cards with the Crypto.com app, you can get up to 20% back. So download the Crypto.com app today and enjoy these offers until the end of September. Bitstamp is the original global cryptocurrency exchange. Since 2011, Bitstamp has been the preferred exchange for serious traders and investors. Trusted by over 4 million customers, including top financial institutions. Bitstamp is built on professional-grade trading technology. Their platform is powered by a NASDAQ matching engine, and their APIs are recognized as the best in the industry. Download the Bitstamp app from the App Store or Google Play, or visit bitstamp.net slash pro to learn more and start trading today. That's bitstamp.net slash pro. In this crisis, many investors aim to keep and grow their digital assets. Others seek to maximize the yield on their cash. Nexo allows you to achieve exactly these two goals. The company offers instant crypto credit lines against all major cryptocurrencies, with interest rates starting from only 5.9% APR. Nexo also lets you earn up to 10% annually on your fiat and digital assets. What's more, interest is paid out daily, and you can add or withdraw funds at any time. Get started at nexo.io. Is there anything that you've learned since you came back and have started working with the local community about Bitcoin, especially considering that it's an Android-heavy, mobile-first market? Is there anything that you realize, like, oh, I didn't realize that this kind of product would be useful or that this kind of thing that I, I can do maybe isn't useful for them? Anything that you learned about the local market? Yes, actually. So actually, that's a great question because um, when, I, when I first got here, I had a 3D-printed point-of-sale system, uh, which, which is actually lightning-powered. So you can, you can make uh, lightning transactions using this device. So when I got here in December, my idea was to pretty much go talk to businesses and figure out maybe if there was a way to uh, maybe 3D print some uh, point of sale systems and to kind of like bootstrap the ecosystem that way. But what I realized that maybe it might've been a little bit too early because people do not have crypto right now. So the biggest crypto project actually that's in the, that's in the pipes right now is uh, Acoin uh, from Acon, that's the singer, because he has his, uh, his, own, he has his own, own, own token coming here. And that's what I saw people were kind of like excited about and trying to figure out how this crypto stuff works and or whatnot. But then as I talked to people like around, I realized that actually nobody really had cryptocurrency in their or, or wallets or any kind of like crypto money. So what I did, first thing that I did when I got here with the meetups, I gave away about $1,000 in Bitcoin. And I ultimately just gave everybody who came to my, to my, to my meetup just a little bit of Satoshis. I was uh, giving the symbolic number, 21,000 Satoshis to people who came. If they ask the right, if they ask the right questions, yeah. If they, if they downloaded uh, like a wallet of Satoshi, because I felt like it was a very good um, um, wallet 
somehow kind of a user-friendly per se, you know, because it, it also allows you to do lightning transactions and uh, on-chain Bitcoin transactions. So it was, it was fairly easy. It didn't have, didn't have quite have the long mnemonics to remember. You can back up your wallet you know, using, your, using two uh, distinct words and your, and your email. And it was fairly easy to explain how it worked. So I basically started with that. And I said, okay, well, I know that it's, it's, it's a little bit early, but I think we can build it from the ground up. Because ultimately, I feel like this technology is groundbreaking. It can help a lot of people. But how do we start one step at a time and really get people accustomed to it and, uh, and not lose their funds in the same process? So we ripped and roared through a lot of the things that I was very curious about. And so I want to turn over the microphone to you a little bit. Is there anything that you think is important for our audience to know about Bitcoin or about Senegal that most people in America don't know? Yes, um, I, I think uh, Caitlin Long uh, from the Bitcoin Wyoming, uh, the Wyoming um, uh, movement, I think she had it right. I think it, things will take a little bit longer than people expect. And in this, in this part of the world, specifically, I think in West Africa, there are 14 French-speaking countries. And if you look at information in the world, I think like the world's knowledge, about 4% of it is in French. Most of it is in English. And if you look at the African continent as a whole, it seems like places like Nigeria, Ghana, South Africa, Kenya, the places that are English-speaking are moving way faster than their French counterparts. I think it's because information in French is less available than information in English. So on this part, it's moving a little bit slower. And ultimately, I think it would take people like myself to come here and try to actually translate and explain some of this information in the local languages, and even in, in French, if possible, to be able to get people to understand what is happening and be part of the revolution. But I think it will take a little bit longer than people expect. That's a really amazing point that you just made. I think a lot of people assume that they can't do anything related to Bitcoin because they're not highly technical or skilled developers. When sometimes just literally translating something into Spanish or French could have a huge impact for a community, that's something that people can do with a wide range of skills. Yes, absolutely. I actually, I actually applied to the uh, BitMEX grant, and I, and I applied for that particular piece about translating information in the local languages. It's very important because even for me, like my whole life, I had trouble basically with school because in, in, in Senegal, my native language is Wolof. My, my mom's tongue is Wolof, W-O-L-O-F. To go to school here, I had to speak, I had to learn French to be able to be educated in high school and primary school and uh, kindergarten and such. When I went to college, it was the same thing. I had to learn English again to basically get my, 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 my uh, uh, college education. And it was always difficult because I always felt like it was uphill battle. And sometimes I felt like the French-speaking parts of Africa are kind of like a little bit disadvantaged because they're a little bit left behind because most of the world actually speaks English. And ultimately, unless we get basically information translated it will always take time or trickle down to get to this part of the world. And I think it's very, very important to focus on languages. Do you know of any other developers in Senegal that are skilled um, and could work remotely kind of in the ways that you do? I'm, that's actually what I'm looking for right now. <laughs> um, there are a few who are, because our university is, is actually highly ranked um, ultimately for cryptography, but I don't think people are looking deep enough into Bitcoin and what they can possibly do. And that's why when I saw the Chaincode Labs uh, curriculum, I said, okay, well, I think this is perfect because if I can get this information out there, like try to like, dissect it a little bit and try to convey it to folks, I think ultimately the right people will find me. And then from there, I'll figure out a way to build a community basically one, one, one person at a time. But right now, I have people who are highly, highly technical when it comes to like cryptography per se, but they don't understand quite how Bitcoin works, about consensus and wallets and, 
and mining and, uh, and exchanges and, and other things, basically. But they understand what, how private keys work. And I think for me, speci- for me specifically, it's important to basically talk, talk to those folks because it's very difficult to speak to someone who's not very literate about private keys. And also like about the dangers of like losing your funds if you, if you do lose your private keys. So for me, it was more like building the relationship with the people who are more technical. So ultimately, maybe people who are even in, in, in more advanced like studies at the universities. And then from that crowd, we can basically make it, we could crowdsource it and train the rest of the population. And even in Africa, sometimes I don't understand how come the Bitcoin community doesn't really target more universities and more, do actually more hackathons. Because if anybody, those kids are smart enough and advanced enough to be able to train the rest of the population. So it will have to be like a trickle-down effect, right? So target universities, because this is like very, very bright people. I mean, do not discount or, or underestimate Africa. They are very, very bright people here. But then start with them and then let it, let it be like a trickle-down effect to the, to the rest of the population. I think people underestimate the huge opportunity in terms of talent, freelance talent, that there is in Africa that is easily accessible now that we have a global currency and places like Twitter and GitHub and different kinds of university websites where we basically just have collections of highly competent people. Yes, exactly, exactly. And here, and here I think like, because we have like some of the youngest population in the world, I think by 2050, the, the, the average age is going to be about 14 years old. And even by 2030, it'll be, it'll be about 19 years old. So this is a perfect time because there are not enough jobs here in Africa, per se, right? And it's a huge, it's a big number of young people here, right? So to me, Bitcoin is perfect because you, don't, you can compete in the global stage and you can pretty much get paid anywhere in the world. So why not basically work with this, with this technology, but you have to understand how it works and also maybe like up your skills. Because now we live in a global village, right? So everybody is in somehow, some way. So you're, you're competing against a kid in China, against a kid in India, against a kid anywhere. But to me, a technical skills, technical skills, right? You can teach it to anybody. Actually, what's more rare, I believe, is a create, like creativity per se. But anybody can compete, it's a, and it's a global economy. So if you can get paid in Bitcoin, why not? And I'm doing it myself, so I'm the perfect example. Gotcha. Is there anything else when you think about what's coming up in this space over the next few months that you're really excited about with relation to Bitcoin, or it could be in the broader market that you want us to ponder as we take away from this interview all these thoughts about Senegal? Yes. So um, initially, what excited me about uh, Ethereum per se was um, like be able to tokenize assets, let's say stocks and such, right? Because when I was in when I was living in in, in the U.S., uh, especially in San Francisco, I always thought about how can and, 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 uh, uh, somebody, somebody from the diaspora like myself who lives, in, lives abroad, how can they invest back in Africa, ultimately, right? So to me, Africans never, had, never really had a chance to invest in local companies. So a way to tokenize, a way for it to work would be maybe those, these companies tokenizing their assets and offering it to the general public and more in, in Africa per se. So the technology I'm really excited about is RGB tokens or RGB technology. Uh, from Dr. I think uh, is Orlovsky, I believe, and he's working uh, on a way to issue tokens on top of the Lightning Network. And I think if this if that can work, it would be amazing as a matter of fact. Because if you can tokenize bonds, tokenize stocks, and especially stocks from places like the African continent, right, and allow for the first time for the local citizens to be able to invest in local companies, because right now it's still very inefficient. It's not like the U.S. where you can have a Robinhood app and and be able to buy. Tesla stocks and, and such, right? We don't have that here per se right now. And because of, the, because of the corruption, because of all these things that are happening, I believe that blockchains will allow for people to finally be able to invest locally 
and also avoid the corruption because the nature of like blockchain technologies and especially the Bitcoin blockchain. So that's what I'm excited about. I hadn't even thought about that, about the way that uh, different stock markets have higher barriers of entry to access. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. I mean, it's fairly easy in, 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 the, in, in the developed world, right? In, in, in America, in Europe, you can easily from like from your mobile device, from a top of a button, invest in, in, in the local company. And here we don't have that opportunity. And we don't even have the opportunity with people who are from Africa and live abroad or live in other places, right? Live in, uh, you know, in Europe, in America and such, right? So we have to, have to make it easy for people to invest in these companies. And even my, growing up, my dad always talked about that. How do we make it easy for local citizens to invest in local companies? And I think it's very, very important for development, for economic development, right? Because here, you know, we still have the problem with the, with the money here because the money is not, is printed by France. The money for 14 African countries is still printed by France to this day. That's hilarious. Colonialism kind of never ended. Yes. That's really, that's really crazy, right? So you think about, and actually it's funny enough, it's, it's an article that I read on Coindesk about two years ago that kind of got me thinking about that. Because it was, uh, I read an article on Coindesk uh, from Bitmain because they said that they, they were looking for companies to invest in that acted more like central banks. And I was like, hmm, I guess in the future, maybe actually money would be printed by startups and not, and, and not governments, ultimately. Because if we say right now that France is printing the physical money for these 14 African countries, so if these countries want to gain back their sovereignty, who's going to be in charge, let's say in the future, when money is all digital, and we're talking about digital central bank coins and, such, and stuff like that, who's going to be in charge of actually printing this money? Right? So ultimately, it might be some African startups, maybe, that actually have the know-how, technical know-how to really help these governments finally, you know, get from under the French pressure and help them, you know, get into the next century by helping them really issue digital assets on, let's say, the Lightning Network. Why not? And frankly, the local accountability. Uh, local startups will feel much more accountable to doing something positive for their own community than France will for these 14 African countries that are so far away. Absolutely. Absolutely. Absolutely, right? And it's, and it's really sad. And it's really sad it's happening like, to this day in 2020. We have this problem where and, and it's a matter of pride and it's, and it's a matter of sovereignty, right? How can you have another, another sovereign nation like, like really print the currency, which is the lifeblood of a country, of another uh, uh, sovereign nation on the African continent. But it doesn't even make any sense. So I can see how Bitcoin would be a huge game changer in that scenario. Yes, 100%. Like it would be a huge game changer because, because actually, because, and, it's like, and, it's really, and it's really an extension of, of like fascism that has to go. Because France actually learned this from the Germans. Because when France was under occupation uh, by the Germans in the Second World War, the Germans issued, uh, basically issued, uh, specially denominated Deutschmarks for them to use in France. And it took away their, their, their French francs. So when the, war, when the war was over, uh, General Charles de Gaulle in uh, December of 1945 basically had the idea to do the same thing to these African colonies. And ultimately decided that actually that now France was, was going to issue the money for 14 of these nations. So in addition to um, freelance payment opportunities and remittances, the whole concept of not only individual sovereignty, but national sovereignty is something that is a promising aspect of research when it comes to Bitcoin and other like-minded technologies. Absolutely. Absolutely. Because we have, we have to think about how we're going to do this because we are aware that they are, they, there's a little bit of a corruption on the African continent for sure. In the U.S. too. It's kind of a human thing. 
<laughs> yes, but here is like is here actually is fairly is fairly rampant. So we think about like how do we leverage this beautiful technology to make it more transparent, so that actually we know what's happening and we know that we know that our leaders are, are not taking advantage of the local populations because Africa has suffered enough long enough. And the only way to make it transparent is to have information translated into local languages and easily accessible, so that the people can hold uh, those structures accountable. Absolutely, absolutely. Knowledge is key. Knowledge is absolutely key. And for me, that's why I, I always start meetups, you know, and I actually use what I learned in San Francisco here because I always had a chance to like build communities and like share knowledge. Because in, in, in Oakland, it was the same thing because I felt like, well, Oakland is not like San Francisco, right? You know, it's, it's a little bit kind of forgotten a little bit. Not, not to say forgotten, actually it's a bad word. But I felt like it just didn't have the same economic chance that like really, uh, like another city, like right across the water, which is San Francisco, right? And I feel like maybe actually we can make a change by really educating people, educating them about this new technology that's beautiful, that's, that's up and coming. That was the first meetup actually in the Bay Area where we asked people to pretty much come in there, bring their computer, and with an open mind. That's all we ask basically. Just come here, bring your computer, and like we will teach you how to code. We'll teach you how to code using money, actually, which makes it exciting. Because it's not like just like all these things about, oh yeah, learn how to code, learn how to code. It's like, no, you can learn how to code, but you can make it exciting by actually working on programmable money. And there's a whole different paradigm. It's not like building little small web apps or such, right? No, so much actually around it, right? You are learning how to code. You are learning about monetary policies. You are learning about really how money truly works, actually. And it, to me, that's, that's, that's exciting. It's incredibly exciting. Yes, it's, it's, it's one of a kind. And that's what I use right now. I just came here and I said, okay, well, I saw how it worked in, uh, in San Francisco. And even in actually, in, in, uh, sorry, in, in SF, I, based, I, I ran uh, Solidity Saturdays uh, for almost for two years, where people came on Saturdays from 11 to 1 and learned how to write smart contracts. And I can see the look in, the, in, in, in their eyes, right? Because people are like, wow, I can actually program money. And I said, yes, that's exactly what makes it so exciting. So I feel like I learned a lot today. Thank you so much for joining us. Oh, thank you for, for having me. I really appreciate it. And I want to thank everyone at home as well for joining. Once again, this is Coindesk reporter Lee Quinn. For more interviews and insights, check out coindesk.com. Take care, everybody. You can probably treat yourself to an ad-free upgrade or at least grab an extra latte after getting a Chime checking account with features like fee-free overdraft up to $200 with SpotMe, no minimum balance requirements, and no monthly fees. Open your account in minutes at chime.com slash goals 24. That's chime.com slash goals 24. Chime feels like progress. Banking services and debit card provided by the Bancorp Bank N.A. or Stride Bank N.A. members FDIC. Spot me eligibility requirements and overdraft limits apply.